The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and I get a chance each week to share glimpses into some of the amazing ways that God is at work in our world today. So with that being the theme of the show, it is no surprise that the Holy Spirit gets mentioned pretty much every week, but especially so this week, as you'll hear in my interview with Father Tim Furlow, who serves as the pastor at St. Patrick Catholic Church in Portland. His descriptions of the presence of the Holy Spirit goes far beyond the sometimes shallow depictions of the third person of the Trinity. As Father Tim puts it, he's not just a bird on a window or a wispy kind of presence floating in the air. Now, I've quoted Father Cantalamessa a few times on this show. He's the preacher to the papal household, and he provides such meaningful commentary regarding the Holy Spirit. So I thought this was an ideal moment to return to some of his words. But first, let's consider how the power of the Holy Spirit is not reserved for an elite class of Christians. So when Father Cantalamessa compares the Spirit to a living fountain, he writes, Water is something that always runs down, never up. It is always trying to find the lowest place. So it is with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit loves to visit and fill the lowly, the humble, those who know their own emptiness. You know, when we consider the bookends of Jesus' earthly life, we really witness this dynamic of the Holy Spirit who seeks out those lowly and humble places. We see the beauty of the nativity scene, and then on the other end, we see the poverty of the cross. And it can be a difficult moment when we come face to face with the poverty and emptiness of our own lives. But if we really turn to God in those moments, then these are not occasions for despair, but rather for hope. Because acknowledging that emptiness means we're ready to be filled up. Indeed, at the end of our interview, Father Tim describes the simple spiritual practice of saying to the Lord, You're God, I'm not. Fill me up and give me the strength to do what you need me to do today. Returning to Father Cantalamessa now, he writes that it is the Holy Spirit who, who imbues our hearts with the feeling of divine adoption as children, the one who makes us experience and not only know that we are children of God. At times, this radical activity of the Spirit takes place suddenly and intensely in a person's life, and then it can be contemplated in all its splendor. It might occur during a retreat, or when a person is well disposed to receive a sacrament, or while listening to the Word of God with an open heart, or while praying for the outpouring of the Spirit. The soul is inundated with a new light in which God is revealed to the person in a new way as Father. The person experiences what it really means to say God is Father. Their heart becomes tender, and the person has the sensation of being born again by this experience. He or she experiences deep inner confidence and a never-before-felt sense of God's condescension. At other times, however, this revelation of the Father is accompanied by such a sense of God's majesty and transcendence that the person feels overwhelmed and is silent. One begins to understand why some saints could start to pray the Our Father and even after hours had passed were still glued to those opening words. 
The confessor and biographer of St. Catherine of Siena, Blessed Raymond of Capua, wrote that it was difficult to finish an Our Father without her already being in ecstasy. This dramatic way of knowing the Father usually does not last long, not even in the saints. The time soon returns when the believer says, Abba, without feeling anything, and continues to repeat it simply on the word of Jesus. That is when it is important to remember that the less that utterance delights the person who prays it, the more it delights the Father who hears it, because it is then that it comes out of pure faith and abandonment. It is then that we are like Beethoven, who, having lost his hearing, continued to compose and perform splendid symphonies to the delight of his audiences, without being able to savor a single note himself. At one point, after listening to one of his works, the celebrated Ninth Symphony, the audience exploded into applause, and someone had to tug on the hem of Beethoven's robe to get him to notice and thank them. His loss of hearing, rather than muting his music, made it all the more pure. The same is true for dryness in our prayer if we persevere in it. Again, those are some reflections on prayer and the Holy Spirit from a recent homily by Father Cantalamessa. So please enjoy my conversation with Father Tim, and I'll be back with a reflection after the interview. I am delighted to be joined today by Father Timothy Furlow, who serves as the pastor at St. Patrick Catholic Church in Portland. Father Tim, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great, Miriam. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know that my last couple of guests, now that I think about it, my last few interviews have been with folks from Texas. So it's nice to come a little bit closer to home, <laughs> back to the Portland, great nation so. of Texas. Yes, I visited <laughs> yeah. there this last summer. Amazing um, place. It's like a different state of mind. I have I have never been past uh, the airport. I think in Dallas. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Well, you should go. It's uh, if you like barbecue, Oof. barbecue and a lot of land. That is your place. There we go. One of these days. Well, Father Tim, it's great to have you on. And um, let's just go ahead and dive in. Uh, Could you share with us some of those uh, faith milestones? Um, What has the road looked like so far? And I got to ask, who or what has helped evangelize you along the way? My journey to where I am right now, is sort of like two fronts in my mind. I had like a conversion to Christianity and then a Mm. conversion to Catholicism specifically. Okay. And my conversion to Christianity was strange. It involved many twists and and turns. I had had uh, a lot of experiences with the Holy Spirit as a child, you know, being in prayer meetings with my parents who were a bunch of wacky charismatics. I'm a wacky charismatic, so I can (laughs) say that. And, uh, And just truly like feeling like the presence of God. I mean, it's like something there that was unmistakably divine having all kinds of experiences like that and then later in my youth for moral reasons kind of thinking this is just too hard i mean how can anybody like do this you know live all the rules and 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 be a certain way for the rest of their days maybe you can kind of hold it together for a little while but can't do it forever and so when i was probably like 15 um, I decided maybe even 14, I was like, I'm not, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And it wasn't a specific Christianity. We went to Catholic churches. We went to Protestant churches. We just okay. kind of, we were all over the place, theologically, mm-hmm. philosophically. And so I was away for probably about four years. 
Okay. And um, when I was 19, I had the incredible grace of being kicked out of a very well-known Catholic university that is based here locally. <laughs> and if you come into my office uh, in the near future, you'll see, you know, the, the theological qualifications that I have on the wall and right next to it, the letter actually releasing me from my time there. Cause it reminds me that like, I mean, God works this way. He works that mm-hmm. way. He works all kinds of ways. Yeah. So that was um, a concrete manifestation of his grace because it meant that I was out of a situation where I was not pursuing him, where I wasn't knowing him, um, where I was really getting farther away from him rather than closer to him. And so I told my mom that um, I wanted to travel. That was my reward for being kicked out of school. Like, I'd like to do some traveling, please. You know, it's all about me. And uh, she said, sure, sure. You know, because she had done a lot of traveling. She was a very accomplished world traveling. And so she booked me a ticket to... Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, which was not exactly what I was thinking of. I was thinking like, you know, white sand beaches or the fjords of Norway or something. So I was like, whatever, it's a place, you know, I'll go. I just kind of need to get out of here. And so I went and I stayed with a really beautiful family that I had known long before that um, the son of the family and I had been in school together for a while. They moved away. So we got reconnected and long story short, over the uh, course of the week, uh, I just very simply became a little more receptive Hmm. to the notion that God had a plan for my life. So we were driving around in this minivan, I remember, and Sherry, the mom, turned around to me out of nowhere and looked at me and just said, God still has a plan for your life. And uh, that like hit me so hard, like the Holy Spirit, like hit me in the core of my being. Like to, I almost started weeping in this minivan in Missouri. <laughs> and uh, we kept driving around and the, and the week carried on with other experiences like that. And at the end of the week, I was supposed to go back. They said, um, can we pray for you? And I said, sure. So they all got around and you know, laid hands on me and, and started to pray for me and uh, nothing happened. Um, but I thank God for that prayer. And I got up, I left. My friend Matt drove me back to the hotel room. I got into the hotel room, hugged him goodbye. And I was walking from sort of like the living room portion into the bedroom portion. Yeah. And when I crossed that threshold into the bedroom portion, the presence of God just completely filled up that hotel room. I mean, from the floor to the ceiling, it was so strong. It was just utterly, utterly undeniable. Like there was nothing, I could not deny it. And it was very clearly the God, the God of the universe, who was utterly synonymous with Jesus. Um, It was one and the same. And so I froze in my tracks. I mean, it was such a, it's existentially impossible for me to explain what it was like, but I was just frozen there in that moment, um, totally eclipsed by the being of God. I even had this weird thought of like, do I exist anymore? Like I couldn't like, God is so, I mean, he's existence itself. So when you butt yourself up against that, this tiny little, you know, celery stalk of a being, the the reality is such a hard juxtaposition that you think weird stuff like that. And, um, 
immediately everything that I had done that was wrong came into my mind over the past years. And I didn't know to confess, go to confession. I wasn't very good. Catholic. And so I just started confessing these things out loud in the hotel room and took hours. And when I had reached like the last one, like the last thing I could honestly think of, um, it was like a million pounds was lifted off. And that totally redirected the the course of my life that made me a believer in Jesus. Um, Maybe a year or two after that, I was sitting with my spiritual director And I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And he said, well, I know a guy that goes to this small school in Ohio, and he really likes it. Why don't you give it a shot? So I just applied. I got in, and I went, like within a semester or something, in the middle of the year. And that was the Franciscan University of Steubenville, which I did not know at the time was, like, really a Catholic university. Like, people who are there, are they're they're actually living their faith, whereas the Catholic university I was coming from, it was more like a tip of the hat to the statue of Jesus at commencement kind of a thing. And so I, um, I got there and I had this incredible realization that I was not a practicing Catholic, huh. that I'd been fully initiated, but was not living the faith in any way that even remotely resembled what living the faith actually is. So after two months of studying theology and finding out what the church actually teaches, yeah. uh, after a whole life of being in Catholic school and not knowing, I decided to just give it a shot, like try it out, kind of like, like an, ex- actually an experiment. Actually live it out. Yeah, like you know, I just started living it and see what happens. And so yeah. I started going to daily mass. I started praying my rosary. I started going to confession, even though I didn't know how to go. I would leave before the absolution, like all kinds of like, <laughs> like stuff. Like I just didn't know anything, but I started doing it. And the proof was in the pudding. And after probably a month, I was like, this is it. This is what Christianity is supposed to be. Like, like it's very, very clear. And so that was the second wave of, you know, coming into fully the Catholic faith. And the, the way that it manifested was being in the sacraments, once again, sensing that same Holy Spirit that I sensed in that hotel room. He just manifested. He was just real, a real person, not a, a bird on a window or some yeah. sort of like wispy type thing, but, but a real divine person right there, ready to heal me and change me. Wow. Uh, thanks for, for sharing that. Uh, for those just tuning in, I'm speaking with Father Tim Furlow, who serves as the pastor at St. Patrick's in Portland. Um, Father Tim, you mentioned about sort of realize this, this kind of epiphany, this sobering epiphany that you weren't living your life as a Catholic. What, what convicted you? Were, were you reading about what this looked like? Was it the example of other people in the community? What was getting to your heart and your conscience at that point? Yeah, it was both of those things, I think. And, and maybe a third reality. It was, it was just seeing everybody live their faith. These were kids my age, you know, early 20s and teens, um, actually living the Catholic faith. I had never seen that in my entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, our modus operandi uh, here in Portland anyway was go to the church, do the thing, whatever it is, choir, like go to the youth group, be an outstanding member of society, and then uh, go do whatever you want. Yeah. Like truly, like whatever you did, we please, like that is fine. So it was like external Catholicism, internal relativism. 
And so I'd, I'd, I'd never seen anybody live the faith. So seeing these people live their faith and they were just so stinking happy, you know, I was like, gosh, these people are happy and they're being nice to me. And they're like yes. peaceful and not in like a weird culty kind of way, like right. in a very authentic, they're just living their best life kind of way. So that was like a big thing for me. And then you mentioned it as well, just finding out what the church actually taught. Yeah. Like I had realized that most of the quote unquote Catholic theology that I had known either came from non-Catholic sources or non-Catholic Christian sources or Protestant brothers and sisters. Right. Neither of those are good sources if you want to know what the church actually teaches. So my theology was completely comprised of, of non-Catholic realities. So to go through the catechism, to go through um, the core documents of the church and just say, Here, here's what the church herself believes about herself. This is what we believe God himself revealed to us in scripture and tradition. And this is how it shakes down in the modern day. Just to be exposed to that, I found myself encountering doctrines and dogmas that I had directly and purposefully rejected my entire life. And I would hear it and just think, well, that's true. Of course, that's true. It was, like a, it was like a movement of the Holy Spirit just directly interacting with my intellect to let me know the objective veracity of whatever the particular doctrine or dogma was. And so that was face-melting to have happen over and over and over and over and over again, you know, for, for a long time, especially a period of months. And then the third thing was just in my own prayer, you know, just getting to know our Lord better uh, core out core, heart to heart, like on a one-on-one -on -one basis and him saying like, Hey, this is what I want for you. Yeah. Like, this is what I made you for. You were born to do this. Um, and to have that hit in the deepest part of my being solidified the other two realities. Yeah. Now in the course of those conversations with our Lord, as you said, those heart to heart conversations, is that where he started to reveal the, the call to the priesthood or how did that kind of come about? It did. Yeah, it happened in those convos. It also happened in observing what then was called, um, what did we call it? We called it, now it's called the Priestly Discernment Program, the PDP. But okay. then it, back then it was called the Pre-Theologate Program. Your theologate is yeah. your uh, formal studies for priesthood. So you could be just, you know, Joe Schmo um, walking around in a university setting, okay. but also do your pre-seminary requirements your your two years of philosophy okay and so there were all these guys walking around in these funny t-shirts you know with pictures of jesus on them and they're like what are you guys doing like oh we're discerning if we're supposed to be priests or not yeah. and i thought that just sounds like the absolute worst thing that i could possibly conceive of and so it took about three months or so of coming through this but very quickly the lord was like hey I want you to think about this, yeah. to start thinking about this really deeply. And I want you to apply to this program. And my initial reaction was so negative. I mean, I had always been in a mind frame of having a family. Right. And so the, the notion of uh, engaging this like complex supernatural reality that involves belonging just to the church and to our Lord was, was not really something on my radar, but it was so clear that that's what he wanted. Um, I applied and I entered the program and I fought as valiantly, I like to think, as any man could fight the God of the universe. But thankfully, he won. And here I sit 
in Northwest Portland, four blocks from the home to which I was taken as a baby from the hospital, a priest of God. So I can't, I can't be any more thankful. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, Father Tim, you mentioned, yeah, you're right there in the heart of Portland. Uh, So tell us a bit about some of the, you know, we're thinking about that this, this mission of bringing the gospel truth and the beauty of our faith um, to our communities. What are some of the particular challenges you've encountered, but also what are some of the signs of hope you're seeing in your ministry there? Mm -hmm. Biggest challenge, I think, is just the subcultural milieu of Portland, Oregon, which is yeah. uh, sort of practical relativism. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of come to Portland, you can do whatever you want. Uh, well, the problem with that, though, is that if you say that, people will come and do whatever they want, even if it's outside of the conception of the persons who are saying, come and do whatever you want. So everybody has a different definition of that, which is what relativism is. So it's kind of like a self defeating system. So that's the biggest challenge is okay. just um, people coloring out so far outside the lines of our human nature that, yeah. that it's, it's difficult. What I'm seeing, though, is the Holy Spirit actually do things mm. in a palpable way in people's lives like I had happen in my life. So mm. I won't mention the name because I haven't gotten her permission to share the story. But there's a gal in the parish who's coming into the church this Easter mm-hmm. who uh, was just sitting at home about last Christmas and with her cat. And the idea popped into her mind, I wonder if Christmas is real. And the Holy Spirit hit her so hard sitting there alone in her apartment that she converted to the Christian faith right there, wow. let go of all of her past practices of different religions and, and whatever it, it may be, different types yeah. of spiritualities. And then found her way here and said, hey, I just, I'm a Christian now. I have no idea what I'm doing. I think the Catholic Church is the answer. Can you help me? Wow. Um, and so that is not an isolated incident. Like we are doing our best to, to bring the good news to people. But the reality is Jesus is bringing himself to people directly. And so we're trying to create an environment where people can come in after they've experienced him and they can just get healed. So that's the that's the the two layers of the dip, as I would say. The main one is just the Holy Spirit acting directly in people's hearts. And then the second one, the follow-up one, is just saying, Lord, I believe you can heal me. And I've seen people healed of all kinds of things, physical wow. things, spiritual things, diabolic things. Like I always say I have like the best seat in the house because I'm front row. If Jesus does something, I, I get to see him kind of flex. Yeah. In, in this world. And what he does is the exact same thing he did when he was walking around. He just heals people and sets them free. Wow. Wow. You know, Father Tim, for those who are listening, who, who might be desiring some sort of, I know these encounters with, with God can look different for each person. Um, but let's say someone's listening and is, is aching for that as well. And I know we can't manufacture these moments, you know, but how might someone listening just kind of leave that space for this encounter to happen? Or is it something we can't kind of overthink or, or force? Um, but what if someone's longing for that encounter, but maybe hasn't experienced it yet? Hmm. Honestly, I think it's two things. And it was two big things in my life too. Yeah. One is if you want to make space for something, you got to make space for something. Yeah. Most of us are just packed to the hilt full of yeah. other stuff, like our own yeah. woundedness or own brokenness or own prefaces preferences, our own like secular 
things, our addictions and whatnot. So I think a, it's a willful getting rid of those things. Like if we need to go to confession, even make like a general confession Mm -hmm. and just clear the temple of our soul out. So the Lord can be Lord and dwell there. Great. Then that's what we need to do. And Advent is a great time to do it. Lent is a great time to do it, but really anytime like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm purposely turning my back on all these things that are not you. So you can be invited in. And then secondarily, if you've made space, there has to be the invitation. And so to just say, Lord, I'm going to make it a bigger priority now to spend time with you every day and to invite your Holy Spirit to just fill me up. You know, I, I hear that you're doing things in the world. Do them in me. I believe that there's nothing special about anything that, that's happening out there. All of that could happen to me. And I'm asking you to do that. And so to spend time in that healed, reconciled space where you're just constantly inviting the Holy Spirit in, I think that's the womb of having a a real experience with Jesus. Love that. Are there some practical things that you'd recommend, maybe um, habits of spiritual reading or prayer or building in silence? Some of those things, what would you recommend? So here at um, St. Patrick's anyway, we try to get people, uh, especially when they're just coming in, locked up with um, a personalized spiritual plan. And so on that spiritualized plan, it's, it's the spiritual plan just says like, hey, when am I going to do these things that I know are good for me? I got to eat. I got to sleep. I got to drink. I got to shower. I got to do all this. Thing. And I kind of have that down. Like, so how am I going to keep my spiritual person alive? And so my biggest thing and the biggest thing on there that I recommend is just how am I going to integrate prayer? Yeah. And prayer takes two forms, right? There's like mental prayer. There's, there's your personal prayer with Jesus. And then there's sacramental prayer. Mm-hmm. So where am I going to, where am I going to mass every week and when, yeah. when, where am I going to confession every month or so? And yeah. when, um, what other sacramental realities can I plug myself into? Um, even down to devotional things right. like beautiful things like the rosary. And then, when am I going to have my time with Jesus every day? Yeah. I always recommend 15 minutes in the morning, same spot. If you can do it in a chapel, great, but like do it in a particular chair, have your coffee with Jesus, like whatever it may be. But it's this 15 minutes where it's like, Lord, it's just you and me, your God, I'm not. Fill me up and, and give me the strength to do what you need me to do today. Father Tim, thank you so much uh, for your story uh, and just sort of these practical insights into how we can grow in our spiritual life. Um, I just ask that God continue to bless you and the good people of St. Patrick's. Thank you so much, Miriam. Always good to be with you. Take care. God bless you. Father Tim mentioned that our openness to the Holy Spirit can be as simple as saying to God, I hear you're doing things in the world. I want you to do that in me. We have to be straightforward and courageous when we ask the Holy Spirit to come and act and dwell within us. You know, when a friend or a family member comes to our home, we don't just leave the door cracked open an inch or so. No, we throw the door wide open and say, it is wonderful to see you. Please come on in. And why should it be any different with the Holy Spirit? So my prayer for you all this week is that you confidently ask for the Spirit of God to come pouring into your own life. And maybe it'll be the first time you ask, and maybe it will be for the 1,000th time. It doesn't matter. 
because God wants to keep renewing our hearts and our habits, purifying our intentions and our actions. There is always more good work that God can do. And that, my friends, is an incredibly hopeful fact. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you can join me next week as we continue to blaze that trail of faith in our homes and our communities. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.